if you stand for God's word, here's the reality of where you are in this culture today. I don't know if you know this, but at some point, listen closely to this, at some point, if you're really gonna stand for the truth of God's word, it might be at work, it might even be in your own home, it actually might even be in churches, but you're gonna get called out. Like, okay, where do you really stand on this issue? And where you and I must really stand on this issue is where God stands on this issue. You just stand on his authority, you stand on where he stands, and you let him handle the consequences of your obedience. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Father, in the name that's above every name, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, that we proclaim his death until it comes again. And so, Lord, may you move in power in this moment. We know that where you are working, so is Satan. And so we pray that his schemes will come to nothing. We pray for those who, whose hearts are hardened, that you would bust through. For those that are walking with eyes, spiritual eyes that are blinded, that you would remove the blinders. And for those that are walking in a self-imposed spiritual prison, God, we pray today you'd set the captives free. And so, Lord, you just do what you want to do as we all run to the shadows of the cross, as we lift your name high, as your glory rises above us. And as we give you praise for the true divine exchange, and we pray this all in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Acts 20, Acts 20, 32 through 38, pray your Bible is open, pray your notes are handy. I pray that your heart and your mind are open to receive the implanted Word of God gladly. Acts 20, I'm going to be studying verses 32 through 38. And again, I want to say this, I had one person take me up on this offer, and if you would like, uh, please let me know, but if you, if you don't have a Bible and you need one, come see me, and you will have one this week. It's that simple. So please, please, we want you to have the Word of God. It's life. So the title today is God's Word is Able to Build Us Up. God's Word is able to build us up. Do you believe that today? That God's Word is able to build us up. So if you believe that, by show of hands, how many of you believe that? Do you, do you believe that God's Word is able to build us up? So if you believe that today, what do you think Satan's going to try to do? 
don't have to overly think about this, do you? So if God's Word is able, and I think everyone raised their hands. Some of you I saw even on the back there raised two hands. Uh, you're, you're doubly believing. Praise Jesus. What is Satan going to do? Well, he's going to do everything in his power to discredit what will build you up. So if it's the Word and it is the Word, he's going to do everything in his power to discredit what will build you up. So now what are you going to do? (laughs) A little bit of back and forth here in this game that's being played, right? I know that the Word of God can build me up. That's what you're saying, right? We agree that we know that Satan is not going to take this lightly, and so he's going to do everything he can to discredit the Word of God, to discredit those that are teaching the Word of God. So now the ball's back in your court. What are you going to do? You just can't sit there. You got to do something. Well, I pray we're going to see what to do as we conclude our study in Acts 20. Because remember, God will meet you where you what? Where you obey Him. He's going to meet you at a divine intersection at the street of God where it intersects at your obedience, He's going to meet you there. He's going to meet you right there. And so here's what the Word of God says as Satan tries to keep people out from under the Word. And I'm going to read recap verses first. I think it's important. So go open your Bible I just want to read a few verses to kind of set this tone. So we're going to look at 32 and following, but look at 28 for a moment. And again, let me just kind of back up one more step. So who is Paul talking to in Acts chapter 20? That'd be just a great question. Like as you're taking notes and you're minding the Scriptures and and you're kind of memorizing this and memorizing that, if someone came up to you this afternoon and said, hey, Acts 20 who's Paul talking to? And you would say who? The elders, the Ephesian elders. That's in all of these verses, all 38 verses, he's talking to the Ephesian elders. So so we're learning some really great principles of what biblical elders look like, but also there's principles that apply to every true believer in the same passage. And, And so here's what is said, Acts 20, 28 through 31 ESV. So Here he goes, pay careful attention, be on your guard to yourselves first, and this is spiritual, remember, spiritual, everything Paul is talking about is spiritual. 100% of the time, he's talking about spiritual things. And to the flock, second, in which the Holy Spirit, not yourselves, but Holy Spirit has made you overseers, pastors, elders, etc. Interchangeable words. To do something to care for, and what he means by that is to feed and protect spiritually. That's what it means. Feed and protect spiritually. The church of God, which he obtained 
with his own blood. We didn't do the obtaining. God did through Christ. We just sang about it. And then he said this in 29, I know, it means this without any doubt, that after my departure, so remember, Paul's leaving, we're going to see that here in a moment, kind of when the teacher's away, the kids will play. Fierce, relentless, savage wolves, not sheep, wolves, spiritual wolves, they look like sheep, (laughs) they're not, power-hungry, controlling people. They don't care about the sheep one iota, they just care about themselves, will come in among you, yes, from the outside, not sparing the flock. They're going to seek and destroy. They are on a, they are on a seek and destroy mission. 30, and from among your own selves, hmm, from the inside will arise men, what are they going to do? Speaking twisted things. This is spiritual speaking here. Spiritual, they're going to come against truth, make up stuff. These savage wolves, these instruments of Satan, that's what they are. They're instruments of Satan. Just call it what it is. Will poison the minds of the spiritually naive, the undiscerning. Why? To join in, to to pile on in the attacks. Hmm. Why? Well, there it says right there in your Bible in front of you or on the screens, verse 30, to draw away the disciples after who? Themselves. That's the end goal. I mean, that's the end goal. That was Satan's end goal. These people are working for Satan. That's their end goal. Me, 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 the enemy of self. They want the applause, the acclaim. They want to be first. They want the power. They want the control. Trying to draw people away, and there's people just fawning over them and slobbering all over these people, and just they're all going into a godless abyss unless they repent. And so, what happens? Well, here it is 31. Therefore, in other words, do this, be alert, be on your spiritual guard, remembering that for three years, three years, wow, I did not cease night or day to admonish. Warning, 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 warning. Everyone, all with tears. And sure, sure enough, Paul, there he is. He's expressing his love. And any, take this to the parental thought for a moment, any good godly parent who sees their child wandering spiritually, hanging out with the wrong people. What are you going to do as a parent? Sure, go for it, right? What are you going to do? Don't do this. What are you thinking? We even teach our kids at young ages, right? Don't talk. This is just crazy. Don't talk bad about people. We teach them this, right? And then when our guard's down, we go talk bad about people. Hmm. So now what do we do with all this? I mean, how do you deal with a wolf? How do you deal with a, a raging wolf that is just poisoning and leavening the whole lump? What do you do? It's not on the screens, but I think you write it down. Write down 1 Corinthians chapter 5 somewhere. Read it later. But here's what you do. When they've been asked to repent and they refuse, 
you simply turn them over to Satan, 1 Corinthians 5, that in the end, prayerfully, as you pray for them, that they might be saved. That's what you do. Just turn them over to Satan. Just release them. Go, turn you over, love you. As a as a loving parent would do to a rebellious child, sometimes, sometimes you've got to send the child who's just rebelling and rebelling and rebelling and rebelling. Sometimes you've got to send them away, don't you? Sometimes you do. And that's spiritually what happens. You've got to just send them away. Just go, <laughs> trying to show you and you're just not listening. Just turning you over to Satan. And then something intriguing happens in this final chunk So let's look together, 32 through 38, Acts chapter 20. This is Paul's final blessing and admonition. And here, I want to pause for a moment. I just thought about this. So I get this that not everyone that is either here or listening, either online, by the radio, etc., I get this that, that not everyone is at the same level in the journey. I get this. And that's what makes it so difficult. You know, I mean, it's kind of like you're the teacher, right, in the, in the schoolhouse back in the day, you know, where you had K through 12 all in one room. And, and you know, you're trying to, you're, you're trying as best you can, you know, to, and we try to keep it simple, but we try to pick the, the fruit high off the tree, if you will, as well, and give deep doctrine, but make it simple. And so, not always easy, uh, but I pray, here's what I'm praying. I'm praying by the power of the Holy Spirit. Like I'm praying that even right now as I'm talking, that, that somehow that, that, that it'll make sense and he'll get in there and, and, and you can leave today going, man, I see, I see him for all he is, all his glory. That's my prayer. And so here it is, Acts 20, 32, and now... And now I commend you to God. So Paul is talking to who again? Help me. The Ephesian elders. And now I commend you, Ephesian elders, to God and to the word of His grace, which is able, there it is, that there's your, your highlightable moment, which is able to build you up, there it is, and to give you <laughs> the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I'm going to explain all this. 33, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. 35, in all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words mm, of the Lord Jesus. It's a good thing to remember, Amen. How he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, this is so good, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. And their result was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and they kissed him. And lastly, 38, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken. What word was that? Well, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship, and all God's people said, Amen. Look at verse 32 through 35. May the Holy Spirit illuminate all that we need to learn here. 
32, Acts 20. And now I commend you to God. He's, here's what he's saying. He's saying, I, I deposit you. I deposit you. Let me explain this. So, have you guys ever made a deposit at a bank? Some of us are like, if we had some money, we would. Amen. <laughs> Monopoly money, right? Yeah. I tried that once. And so, when you deposit something, what are you doing? I mean, you're putting, you got something and you're putting it in something else, right? Depositing. So, Paul here in this first verse, so, so good here, 32, and now I commend you to God. I, I'm depositing you. I'm entrusting you. This is what it is right here. He's like, I'm entrusting you to God's protection. That's what he's saying. He's like, Ephesian elders, this is a fight, not a fashion show. And as I leave, I've already warned there's going to be wolves come in from the outside. They're going to come in from the inside. If you're not spiritually well, you're going to get eaten for lunch. So I commend you. I deposit you. I entrust you to the protection of God. And church, is there any greater place or person rather to be protected by? There's no greater place to be today, whether you're up, whether you're down, maybe you're coming out of the valley, you know, going down into the valley, maybe you're on the mountain and things are rosy, maybe you're in the valley and you're wondering, God, will this darkness ever lift? Will the fog and the haze ever lift? Maybe that's where you are today. I got great news, no matter where you are in life, there is no greater place to be than in the nail-scarred hands of Jesus Christ. Like, if you're there and you're still in the valley, you're good. Because I know people who are on the mountain, but they're not in the nail-scarred hands. And oh, my, I fear for their souls. I fear for their souls. So what happens? Well, I commend you to the Word of God, or to God rather, and to the Word of His grace. That's the Bible. God's grace is truth which is able to build you up to promote spiritual growth is what that means. So again, if, if you're looking today, you're like, oh, man, I want to grow spiritually and I'm struggling and, and I'm kind of here and I'm on the lower end as far as where my growth is. I want to, I want to go deeper. I want to know more. I want to be more surrendered. I want to just be more like Jesus. It's impossible to do this apart from the Bible, period. Can't do it. Now, there's people out there today that are rewriting the Bible into their own narrative. Make sure you stick to the Bible, amen, the truth of God's Word. So what happens? Well, He's going to do what? He's going to build you up and to give you an inheritance. <laughs> this is the inheritance that the world doesn't offer. Among all those who are sanctified, now this is very important, the word sanctified simply means this, to be set apart. So... So there's sheep and there's goats, if you will. There's saved and there's unsaved. There's rescued and non-rescued. There's those who have given their life to Jesus and those who profess Christ and think they're saved, but they're still hanging on to their life and controlling their life. And if you follow Scripture, they're unsaved people. Sanctified people are saved people. Sanctified is not here in this thought of that they've arrived. 
It means this, that they have been saved, but they actually are still on the road of sanctification, which simply means this, ongoing change, becoming more like Jesus until the day they die. And at that moment of death on this life, they immediately go into the presence of God and they are fully glorified. They were justified at the cross. They're being sanctified in this life because they've given their life to Jesus. Their life is no longer their own. It's real. It's true. It's not fake. It's not phony. It's not baloney. It's a fight, not a fashion show. And because that's true, here's what happens. They will spend forever in the presence of King Jesus. And there's no greater place. So what happens? Well, then Paul, look in 33, he begins to remind them. Paul was always reminding, wasn't he, by example. I don't know if you've noticed that when you read the epistles. Just look closely at that as you read the epistles. When he writes to Timothy, he's modeling. He's giving an example. This is what you do. This is how you live. Well, he's recounting to these elders going, 33, I coveted, I, I did not, is what he's saying, I did not lust after, that's what that word means, covet to lust, just not like in a sexual way, but of course, you can lust after anything, you covet, I gotta have this, I gotta have this, I mean, that person's getting all the applause, I want that. You can lust after that if we're not careful. Paul says... I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. That was a big thing back in that day that they were attacking him for. Oh, Paul, you're just in this for the money. <laughs> oh, that's just a funny, funny thought, isn't it? I mean, that's a funny thought. Yeah, we're, we're in this for the money. Yeah, good one. You yourself know, it's true, it's true, that these hands minister to my necessities. Okay, he's bivocational is what he's saying. I'll go make some tents, leather, etc., and I'm still going to go fight this good fight, the spiritual war. Minister to my necessities, 33, 34 rather, and to those who were with me. Boy, he was so giving, so generous. 35, and all these things I have shown you. There it is, right there. I modeled this for you by working hard, laboring with great effort and exertion. What happens mm. in this way? We must help the weak. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how He Himself, listen to this, said, this is the only, I don't know if you know this, write this down for you that love this type of thing, this is the only direct quote of Jesus outside the Gospels. The only direct quote of Jesus outside the Gospels right here. Here it is. Here it is. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, is Paul talking about financial stuff? Of course he is. But, but that's not where this stops. I mean, you should know this. If you're a true believer, that, that when you see someone hurting and you go spend time with them, you, you carve out your schedule and you go minister to them, you are giving that to them, and, and you typically don't come back home going, that's a waste of time. You typically come back home, right, going, I went to go encourage them as I carved out time in my schedule. And they actually encouraged me. Ever been there? They're kind of like, just what just happened in there, right? Yeah, that's what Paul's talking about. So, I want you to write down key number one. Write this down. Got two keys today, so here's key number one. Key number one. Here it is. Biblical elders 
Embrace and teach that it's God's Word that is the source of building up, strengthening in the lives of those who are sanctified, those who are saved. This is why biblical elders must guard and protect God's Word at any and all costs. Let me read that again. Make sure this is sinking in. Number one, biblical elders embrace. They just don't look at it. It's just easy, isn't it, to kind of look at spiritual things from the outside? Kind of look at them and go, we window shop. Kind of window shop spiritual things. There's so many people that are spiritually window shopping. Just looking in from the outside. Oh, that's great. Not denying it, but, but not embracing. Going, Wait a minute, this, this is true. So biblical elders embrace and teach that it's God's Word that is the source of building up, strengthening in the lives of those who are saved, sanctified. This is why biblical elders must guard and protect God's Word at any and all costs. There's been a lot in the news recently, and there's a famous pastor I'm sure you've heard of who uh, gave some advice uh, regarding a wedding ceremony. And, and at the end of the day, at the end of the day, here's what you do. You stick with God's Word. You live and die by God's Word. And just a quick little comment on that scenario, I, I get it. Trust me, I get it. I get things have changed in the culture, and you know we don't necessarily say the same things at marriage ceremonies as we used to say. But but I'm going back to the institution of marriage and how God established it, and it's called holy matrimony, not unholy matrimony. And we'll never win the world by becoming more like the world. The world's already in a sewer, and so if we saddle up next to them as another sewer, are they really going to look at us and go, hey, I want what you got? Of course not. doesn't make any sense. But this is what the enemy does, the schemes. We will win the world to Jesus by becoming more like Jesus. That they will see there's something different. Do you love people? Of course you do. Are you mean and ugly? Of course you're not. But there's times you're going to draw a line in the sand in certain situations and you're going to go, this is just not right. Biblical elders must do the same thing. We must guard and protect God's Word at any and all cost. Because here's the deal. There are people all over our world today inside churches that are dating the darkness they're dating the darkness. Hey, let's go on a date. They're having a love affair with the darkness. Jesus even told us in His Word that men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their evil deeds will be exposed in the light. Church, biblical truth matters. Biblical truth matters. I pray that's what you're screaming in your head right now. 
Biblical truth matters. Being faithful to the Word of God matters. I pray you're screaming in your head right now, I don't care if the whole world goes off in deception. As for me and my house, we're going to stay tethered to the Word of God. Telling you, if you don't make that decision on the front end, when you were in the fire and the darts are being slung at you and the lies and the accusation and all that goes on and the bullets are whizzing, you're not going to go, hey, I think I'll start standing for the truth. You will bend, buckle, cave, and break. That's why on the front end you make these declarations. Biblical elders must do this, but so should every man and grandpa in this room. Every man and grandpa listening today, you should declare with a passion, with a vengeance, that the Word of God is able to build my family up. And since it's able to do that, Satan is able to tear my family and burn it to the ground. And I pray every dad and every grandpa, every man in this room is saying, that's not happening on my watch. We're living in a culture church that is declaring war on Jesus. They hate him. They hate him. And the Bible says to have no fellowship with the darkness. Don't have any fellowship with it. Don't have any fellowship with it. It'll lure you in. People that are dark, wolves, they give the impression that they're Christ followers, but they're really not. They're going to lure you in. They're cunning. They're crafty. Be careful. Because once you're in and the door gets closed, it's... What's going to happen? I mean, plain patty cake. Remember that little thing we used to do? Hopefully some of you adults still don't do that. It would be kind of weird, wouldn't it? Man, so many people are dating and playing patty cake with the darkness. Just playing patty cake. That we are to have no partnership with the things of Satan. And the big thing you're hearing today is we've got to build a bridge. The Bible is so clear on this thought. It's not on the screens. But there's only one bridge that you need to be on. And that's the bridge called Jesus. Because the Bible says this. That because of me, because of you who are wicked and desperate and depraved, in our sinless state apart from Christ. And here's God, and there's this chasm. And the Bible says this, that, that Jesus was given as a propitiation to, to satisfy God's burning wrath at sin. It says this, that Jesus was given as the sinless lamb, here it is, that He, that He might bring us to God. There is your bridge right there. That's your bridge. And church, it's a narrow way. 
It's a narrow way. It leads to life. It's hard. It's difficult. You're going to want to quit. But it leads to life. And so many all over this world today, even, yes, professing believers at times, are on a different bridge. It's the wide path that leads to destruction. It's easy, and it's fun, and it's gimmicky, and it makes us feel good after a long week. And its end is eternal death. May we not be those people, but may we be like these biblical elders that are going to guard God's Word at any and all cost. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. Write down these verses, 2 Timothy chapter 2. 14 through 19. 2 Timothy chapter 2, 14 through 19. Who's writing here? Holy Spirit, yes, but who's writing here to Timothy? Does anyone know? Paul, good, okay? He's writing to Timothy, young Timothy. Remind them of these things. So, in 13 and before, more doctrine. Read it later. Remind them of these things and charge them and implore them, command them before God, not to quarrel about words, which is no good. He's talking about trivial matters, stuff that doesn't matter, not spiritual things is what he's saying, just stuff, but only ruins the hearers. 15, do your best. So there's effort involved here, not for salvation, but from salvation. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Well, all of us should be doing our best daily to Present ourselves approved to God, not again for salvation, but from it. There's evidence. There's fruit. Fruit and obedience are the markers of true conversion. People say, fruit's not important. What planet are you on? The Bible says faith without works is dead. The fruit is what happens a byproduct of what happened in the heart. And when the heart gets radically rescued, when the heart gets radically saved, there is a natural byproduct that now is given off, and it's fruit. It's my life has been changed. My life has been ransomed. My life is no longer my own, that I've been now, I've been clothed in my right mind. I've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. My eyes are open. I can finally see clearly. And now in obedience, that fruit is given off because Jesus says, if you really love me, obey me. So what does Paul continue to say? He says, one approved, a worker who has what? No need to be ashamed, 
rightly handling the word of truth, but, here it is, 16, avoid what? Irreverent babble. Here it is again. For it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. So good grief. All this irreverent babble. Hmm. You know, that right there alone is enough leaven to leaven the whole lump right there. That right there alone is enough to stop the revival. Because what? 17 in their talk will spread like what? Gangrene. <laughs> Ever looked at someone's foot and had gangrene and said, oh, that's nice. That's pretty. It looks great. So what you do? You go, gross! I gotta get you to the ER. Call an Uber. Among them, he names them. Ooh, he calls them out by name. Hmm, yikes. Hymenius and Philetus, who have swerved. Here it is. Here it is. They've swerved from what? God's word. Remember, I gave the illustration last time together. You're driving along on a two lane road, and what happens if a semi is coming one way and you go in his lane? Hello, Jesus. Amen. So many people are swerving because they're not anchored to the truth. We must guard it. The way you guard it is that you first internalize it. You begin to read it. You meditate on it day and night. Everywhere you're going, everywhere you're thinking, it's, it's God and His glory and God and His praise and, and God and His fame and killing the enemy of self and just saying, Lord, I want more and more and more and more and more of you. Because what happens? Well, they swerve from the truth saying that the resurrection has already happened. So here they're, they're taking a nugget, creating a lie. And what are they doing? They're upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands bearing the seal. The Lord knows those who are His. There's a command. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Do you guys know what iniquity is? So it's sin, that's true. That, that's actually true, but it's not the full definition. So here's sin. Sin is anything that's against the Lord, amen? I mean, it's against the Lord, so it's sin. But iniquity is this, it's premeditated sin. Now, when you're thinking of what you're going to do, like you're thinking, remember, Battlefield of the mind, R.C. Sproul, one of the greatest quotes ever, right thinking leads to right living. Right thinking leads to right living. What you think on is what you act on, amen? Battlefield of the mind, data center of the mind, and here it is right here, premeditated sin. Let me read it again. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord. So what he's saying is everyone who says they're a Christian, everyone who says they're a Christ follower, if you are living in premeditated sin, you know, I hate that person. I'm never going to talk to that person. I mean, when I see that person, I'm going to look the other way. I'm going to go the other way. Darts, right? Darts. Darts. Bitterness. Unforgiveness. Jealousy. Covetousness. Those are all premeditated sins. Depart from it. Because the Bible says that all will be without excuse. 
regarding not bowing the knee to King Jesus. Matter of fact, let's do a little exercise. So if you have a paper Bible, just open it up here. If it's already, if it's open, then just open it even more, I guess. So you open your Bible. You know what's so interesting as I open this? And here it is, and it's laying flat, and this is the Word of God. It's holy, it's real, it's living, it's active. When you open your Bible, God will meet you here. God will meet you here. He'll meet you right here. I'm telling you. He'll meet you here. Bathe in the Bible. Just bathe in it. Just bathe in the Bible. And yet, unfortunately, there's people today, again, even inside churches across our world today, that they seek God in their spare time. And that's not what we're called to do. Second Peter, let me give you a few more verses here. Second Peter, this is 3.16b, as in boy, b as in boy, male, God created them male and female. I believe that without any doubt. I pray you do too. 2 Peter 3, 16b through 18, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, Peter writes, which the ignorant and unstable, they do something. What do they do with this? Help me, church. They twist. They distort. They well, this is again what narcissists do, right? They twist everything. But they do this to what? To their own destruction. That's a troubled person there. When you're twisting and you don't even realize you're actually making your bed that you get to sleep in. As they do the other Scriptures. So see the attack on the truth? Right there it is. The attack is always on the truth of God's Word. Always. You therefore, command, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care, be on your guard is what he's saying, that you, oh, this is so good, (laughs) that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people, unsaved people, and lose your own stability, but do something, but grow, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus, our Savior, who is the Christ, to Him, Oh, this is so good. This is so, so good. I love this. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity and all God's people shouted. Amen. Wow, it's good, isn't it? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 through 11, still under this key number one, give you these supporting verses so you can study them throughout the week. You can write them on the tablet of your heart. You can bathe in these all week long. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, or do you not know that the unrighteous, the unsaved, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Don't be tricked. Don't be seduced. Don't be hoodwinked. Don't be lured. Don't be baited. Then he gives some examples. This is not an exhaustive list. We could pull in other examples from the Scriptures in the New Testament that there's many more things, but this is just a list that he mentioned here in the church of Corinth. And why do you think he mentioned this list? What was the greatest struggle in the church of Corinth, would you say? Any ideas? Yeah, thank you. Whoever said that? Yeah, relationship issues, adultery, etc., fornication. 
<laughs> that was inside the church, like running wild. So here's the list. He makes it very contextual. Neither sexual immoral, there it is, nor idolaters, adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says this phrase, look at verse 11, and such were some of you. And such were, past tense, and such were some of you. You were included on the list that was not going to be with Jesus forever. But, this is so good, this should be every person who's truly saved, this should be your glory story right here. But you were what? Help me, church. Washed. Oh, it's good, isn't it? But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I pray today that you can truthfully say you have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And if you're claiming that, the fruit, the obedience of your life will give evidence of that. If you're claiming that, but the fruit of your life is rotten, you're only deceiving you. You can go to church all day long. You can serve at church all day long. But if your fruit is rotten, I plead with you this morning to repent and truly give your life to Jesus because it won't end well. The Bible says this, that according to those, those people, it said, here's, here's what it says. This is the Bible. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Their end will correspond to their fruit. Their end will correspond to their disobedience, is what the Bible says. That's why in 1 John, our final verse under one key number one, here it is. 1 John, write this down. So simple, but so many people miss this. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. 1 John 2, 15 through 17, do not love the what church? World or the things in the world. Now, here's the explanation. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Let me pause here for a moment. He is not saying you don't love your neighbor. He's not saying that you don't love your coworker. He's not saying that you don't love your family member who thinks they're saved and goes to church every Sunday but is bearing rotten, stinking fruit. He's saying this, and he explains it. Read on. For all that is in the world, here we go, the desires, literally, the lust is what that means. And by the way, lust. So again, if you're taking notes, write this down somewhere. Lust equals unbridled desires. Unbridled desires. Any horse riders in the room here? Anyone like horses? So I've got one here. You've ridden a horse before. You typically put what's called a bridle on there, don't you? Why do you do that? Well, it helps do what to the horse? Go right, go left, etc. Stop unbridled desires, like they're just running wild and there's no restraint. So, the lust, the desires of the flesh, and the lust, desires of the eyes, 
And of course, how could you forget number three? The pride of life where there that five-letter word is. And look who sits smack dab in the middle of that word. Yeah, I. I, remember Satan, I will have. I will have the preeminence is what he was saying. You're going to throw me out of heaven, God? I'm taking a bunch with me. And oh, by the way, when you put me there on planet earth, I'm going to do everything in my power to drag as many people with me into the lake of sulfur that will burn forever. And I'll show you, God, I'll show you. Mm. The deception is beyond comprehension. But what happens? Well, that pride of life, back to 1 John 2, look at the end of 16, is not from the Father. Here it is, but it's from the world. 17, this is a great verse for all true believers. And the world is passing away with its lusts. So all those things today that you and I think, if I just had X, fill in the blank. We all have done this, right? I'm guilty. You're guilty. But if I just move here, if I just drive this, if I just have this in my bank account, if I get this job, marry this person, have this dog, stand on one leg and salute the flag, whatever, I don't know what it is. But the deal is this, no, all of us at times look away from God, and what we're really saying, even though we don't say it out loud, is we go, God, you're not enough. You're not enough. He is enough. He is enough. And our obedience proves our verbal love that we profess for God. Your obedience will prove if your love that you profess is real. And please, church, hear this last thought on key one. And this is one that I think is running wild all through churchdom in our world today. As I talk with other pastors from all around the country, don't confuse God's patience with you as you sin with His approval of your sin. Don't confuse His mercy and His long-suffering and His patience as somehow He's given two thumbs up. That's utter delusion. And yet so many who profess Christ all over this world are living right there. Well, I'm going to continue to behave like this. I'll show him. I'll show her. And the devastation and the hindering of the work of the Lord as the Holy Spirit is quenched and grieved and the revival is being stopped in its tracks. The consequences of those me-centered, me-worshipping decisions will go on for a lifetime. So, with that said, I want us to look at the final chunk, and here it is. Look at verse 36 through 38 of Acts 20. 
36 through 38, Acts 20. Here's what the Word says, verse 36, and this is what, I guess we'll kind of say this is what Paul did. What does Paul do? What's he do next, right? Well, and when he had said these things, he did something. What did he do? He knelt down and helped me, church. He prayed. Did you guys believe in prayer? Like, I believe in prayer. I believe in the power of prayer. He prayed by himself. Is that what that says? What's it say? He prayed with them all. <laughs> Did you see the importance? I mean, there are so many nuggets in Scripture that I think we just kind of gloss over. We just read it and, you know, hey, you know, you know you're driving to work, you're late, you know, you're using your Bible as a lap board and on the steering wheel, and you got one knee driving while you're shaving, and you, you kind of gloss over stuff. Don't do that. I mean, if you can make time for the ball game, make time for Jesus. Make time for Jesus. Bathe in His Word. Prayer. The people that pray together, they stay together. Period. Period. You want your marriage to thrive? Pray with your spouse. You want your relationship with your children to thrive? Pray with your kids. You want your church to thrive? Show up at 5.45 on Wednesday evening, amen? And so what happened? 37, and there was what? Much weeping. Weeping on the part of all of these elders. Did you see the emotion? Did you, did you see the love? Did you, did you see the, the camaraderie? And, and typically when we're weeping, not weeping of joy, of course, but, but there's a sadness there when, when someone leaves, when someone goes. And, and why is that? I mean, well, why are you weeping? Because, because there's loss. There's loss there they realize that other than Christ, we'd say, man, Paul's kind of next on the list, even though Paul was fallible, but Paul's leaving us. Mm. Our mentor, our guide, but they knew they had the Holy Spirit. And they embraced Paul and they kissed him. Mm. So good. Being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that oh, they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. And it seems so subtle, but I mean, if you really don't love someone, you just kind of let them go, don't you? I mean, when you drop your loved one off at the airport, I know it's changed in recent years. Remember back in the day, it's almost like you could, back in the day, you could almost like drive your car into the airport. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you know, it just, you know, you're like right there by the luggage. You don't have to get out. You just grab your luggage. But then with all, you know, 9-11 and stuff, I mean, there's restrictions and COVID and, you know, you got to park in the different city and take a shuttle. You know what I'm saying? It's just crazy how this thing works. But I mean, when you're dropping off that loved one, what do you typically do even in this culture? I know this is what I do. I mean, I walk as far as I can to release them. The little sign they have, like, don't go beyond this, I'm like leaning over it. You know what I'm talking about? I'm, I'm leaning over going, God be with you. That's exactly what was going on here, the unity, the oneness. Why? Because they were centered around spiritual things. Key number two, write it down. Here it is. Key number two. Biblical elders pray together and stand together in unity for the gospel mission. Above all, as they embrace 
They internalize. They own it. That they are at the tip of the spear, the spiritual spear, if you will. The spiritual price is costly, but Jesus is worth it. Biblical elders, key number two, pray together and stand together in unity for the gospel mission above all. They fight off the wolves, they call out the wolves. And they embrace that they are at the tip of the spiritual spear. The spiritual price is costly, but Jesus is worth it. Church, do you believe that Jesus is worth it today? Do you believe that? Do you believe He's worth it? I do. If you stand for God's Word, here's the reality of where you are in this culture today. I don't know if you know this, but at some point… Listen closely to this. At some point, if you're really going to stand for the truth of God's Word, it might be at work, it might even be in your own home, it actually might even be in churches, but you're going to get called out. Like, okay, where do you really stand on this issue? And where you and I must really stand on this issue is where God stands on this issue. You just stand on His authority, you stand on where He stands, and you let Him handle the consequences of your obedience. It's going to cost you dearly. That's the warning to you. If you're really, and I see this in young guys all the time, man, we're going to, you know, I'm going to be a preacher, and we're going to just, we're going to take on the world for Jesus. You know, and you're kind of like just going, oh, brother, here we go, because because this, this guy's going to face reality pretty quickly. That Satan, Satan's coming after him. And if he can't get to him, he's going to get the people closest to him to get to him. And he's going to just assail him all day long. And that's why we're seeing that the data, as I've told you before, and I was just telling someone yesterday who doesn't live anywhere near here, as he was sharing with me, this guy that he's trying to help some pastors who are they're in the battle. They're at the tip of the spear. They're spiritual green beret is what they are. At the tip of the spear. When everyone else is running out of the fire, these guys are running into the fire. And like any battle, it gets pretty bloody. And that data, as I shared yesterday, is so true that Only 10% of pastors retire as a pastor. 10. 90%. 90% and most of them when they do the data and the studies and I've seen them, they're just, they're tired of getting shot at. This is a fight, not a fashion show. And for every true believer, you must believe that, embrace that, live that. Because if you don't, Satan's going to have a field day in your life. It really is a bloodbath, and there's blood in the water for the wolves. And they will do everything they can to destroy those who speak truth as the Lord exposes them.
write down Acts. I'm going to give you uh, three chunks, four, four scriptures here. So four scriptures to support the study this week. And, and by the way, um, I wrote this down. I said this. I said there's nothing about disunity around the truth of God's Word, His truth, that brings glory to God. There's nothing, zero, about disunity around God's Word, His truth, that brings glory to Him. Nothing. Write down Acts chapter 20, so we're going back just upstream a few verses under this key number two. 22 through 24, I want to remind you, this is, remember this is Paul's kind of life verses, if you will. This is his mission statement. <laughs> 22, Acts 20, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm constrained by the Spirit. I'm under the control of the Holy Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there except this, that the Holy Spirit testifies. The Holy Spirit tells me that in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Where do you go with that, right? Well, here's where he went with it, 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus. Why? To testify, to give testimony. To what? To the gospel of the grace of God. Here's what Paul was saying. He's like, look, I decided on the front end that this was a fight and not a fashion show. I'm going to be at the tip of the spear. It's where the, the spiritual fire is the hottest, and because I'm willing to be that one, and we need men today that will get at the tip of the spear. We need a bunch of men all over this world that go, sign me up. I'm going to be at the tip of the spear. Yes, I know it's going to cost me dearly. I know it's going to cost my family dearly. I know my reputation's going to be in the garbage can. But I'm going to be like Paul. And one translation says it like this. When the Holy Spirit testified and said, Hey, in every city, chains, imprisonment await you. One translation says it like this. Paul responds, But none of these things move me from my mission. You get a bunch of guys at the tip of that spear, I promise you, by the authority of God's Word, the gates of hell will not prevail. Because I can promise you this from God's Word, it's with those kind of men that lead with courage and boldness and don't fear man. They only fear God and nothing else. God's going to honor that obedience. He's going to honor that boldness. And here's what he's going to do. Jesus is going to build that church without any doubt. There's no doubt in my mind. What did Jesus warn us? Well, he warned his disciples. He warned us about the cost. Write down John chapter 15. John 15, 18 through 25. Here's the cost. Here's the cost right at the core, at the nub 18 of John 15, if the world hates you, know, understand, embrace that it has hated me before it hated you. 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you. Oh, man, you're good. Let me slobber all over you. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Now, I know that phrase there is messing with some folks. I get it. It's just, it's Bible. 
therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. Oh, there's a bunch of people right now running around in sheep's costumes who all they care about is themselves and the power and the control. And once they get exposed, the death march is on. Mm, 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute who? You. He's talking about the people that go, sign me up for the tip of the spear. Mm. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will not do to you on account of my name because what? They do not know him who sent me. They look like a sheep. They're just lost. They say the right things. They wear the right clothes. But you can see it in the deadness of their eyes. As the eyes truly are the window to the soul. Mm. 22, John 15. This is so good. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. I don't need to repent. Why do I need to repent? I don't need to do this. I did that when I was seven. Hmm. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in the law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a what church? Cause. That's what they do. These are loving warnings for you that are considering crawling out to the tip of the spear. The bloodbath. But that's what we're called to do if you're a true believer. So lastly, here it is. I want to give you this final thought of biblical courage. Because we just don't need men that are strong spiritually. We need women that are strong. We need children that are strong and students that are strong. And so I want to give you this chunk from Joshua chapter 1. Joshua 1. And you got to remember that biblical courage is a byproduct of unwavering trust in God. So when we don't have courage, we're really not trusting God. We're fearing man. In that biblical courage, it's not revealed in a person until... <laughs> Until they're in this situation, what do I do? My advice would be have courage. Be at the tip of the spear. Because the gateway to God working in power is always obedience. And here's what Joshua 1 9 says, or 1 1 through 9. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, all kinds of jokes there, we'll spend time on that later who was Moses' assistant. <laughs> so here comes Michael Jordan gets benched, and you got to follow him, right? Verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go. So get up and go over this Jordan, you and all this people. It's a flood stage. Do it anyway. 
into the land that I am giving to them. There it is right there. Did you catch this? This right here, I think, is one of the most overlooked phrases in all of Scripture, especially in the Old Testament. Right here on the front end, God already told him he's given them the land. <laughs> like, I'm giving it to you. So why is there any need to worry and panic and wander in a wilderness for 40 years? Well, it's disobedience. So what happens? Well, I'm going to give this to the people, verse 3, every place. I love this. is so good. Every place. Picture this, that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. Hmm. Just as I promised to Moses, verse 4, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and these were some bad dudes. I mean, these were some bad dudes. Like, you didn't mess with these guys. To the great sea, towards the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Therefore, verse 6, be strong and, what church? Shout it, courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Verse 7, let's repeat this again. Only be strong and very, shout it, courageous. Being careful to do, be careful to obey according to all the law that Moses, my servants, commanded you. Do not, here's the command, turn from it to the right, to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. Verse 8, this book of the law shall not, the word of God shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Why? So that you may be careful to do, to obey according to all that is written in it. For then, here's the byproduct, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. And in case you didn't get it earlier, Joshua, have I not commanded you, verse 9, be strong and help me, church, shout it, courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord, for the Lord... For the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. And all God's people said, amen. Mm. Mm. Well, I'll tell you what, you read that and maybe the tip of the spear doesn't look so bad after all, huh? See, the Bible's so clear in 1 Corinthians 15, 19. If in Christ, if in Christ, we have hope in this life only, we are all people most to be pitied. If you're looking for this life to fulfill you and build you up, you are on a fool's errand. Vanity, vanity, vanity. 
grasping the wind, grasping the wind. But when you cling to Christ, who is our strength, building us up in both life and death, since He's for us, who can be against us? Greater is He that's within us than He, Satan, who is in the world. And all God's people said, Amen. Father, we come before You. And Lord, Your Word is so clear. According to Your Word, for those that are refusing to truly give their life to Christ, and again, there will be fruit. You'll see it. There will be a soft, tender heart. Not a rebellious heart. Be soft and tender. For those that are refusing to truly give their life to you, the Bible clearly states that those people are an enemy of God. So, God, my heart weeps for those. We know that in, in all churches across the world, your word's clear there are both wheat and tares. Tares, they look like a piece of wheat, but they're actually a weed that causes much harm. And so, Lord, I just pray, by Your power, by Your strength, only You can do this work. Only You can take a tear and turn them into a piece of wheat spiritually. So, Father, I pray, if there's any tares that are listening... Holy Spirit, will You invade their lives right now that they may no longer be an enemy of the cross of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we give our lives to You in prayer, in reflection, whatever You want us to do in this moment of response. May You find us faithful. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.